All content discussed on Hypochondriactor are the individual opinions of Dr. Priyanka Wally and Sean Hayes and should not be construed as personalized medical advice. By listening to this podcast, you agree not to use this podcast as medical advice to treat any medical condition in either yourself or others. Consult your own physician for any medical issues that you may be having. This entire disclaimer also applies to any guests or contributors to the podcast. I'm Dr. Priyanka Wally, medical doctor and stand-up comedian. And I'm Sean Hayes, actor and hypochondriac. It's safe to say that I'm not America's first hypochondriac, but I am America's first hypochondriactor. Hi. Hi. Good morning, Priyanka. Good morning to you. I had the most wonderful dream last night. I, have I hope to tell I was you in about it. This dream. Well, you weren't in it per well, se. Then how wonderful um, can it be? Well, it was wonderful for me on a personal level. You know, I have a life-threatening allergy to nuts, right? Oh, and believe me, right? believe me. And yeah. the thing where you fear like little holes or something like that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's um, trypophobia. That's another thing. Yeah. But in my dream last night, I dreamt that I ate a walnut and I was yeah. waiting for like to have a reaction and I was yeah. able to eat the walnut and I felt it in my body and nothing no happened and I didn't have to use my EpiPen or anything. So it was like an amazing experience. Wow. That's nuts. That was nuts. You, it was nuts. <laughs> did you wait? So in the dream, you felt, you felt the feelings of eating the walnut and having no reaction. Yeah. So, so if I ever eat a walnut, I know immediately I can sense it because my whole yeah. body starts to get yeah. anaphylaxis. Yeah. And so in the dream, it like started by 1%. And I was like, oh, shoot, what am I going to do? I'm in yeah. a dream. Am I going to get my EpiPen? Like, how's this going to work? And then nothing happened. And okay, I was so like, wait. I just ate a nut. So maybe you can, maybe it's, maybe it's like a sign. Maybe it's like a sign that you I can eat nuts know. now. I don't know. That would be amazing. Why don't we try it? <laughs> Why don't we try it? And I'll make you a peanut butter sandwich and we'll, I'll watch you eat it. And if something happens, I'll drive it to the hospital. Well, first of all, just to be a little factual, peanuts are legumes. Peanuts are not in uh, the tree nut category. Uh, oh, so they're oh, actually in the nuts. legume category. So it would have to be like a walnut butter type sandwich situation or oh just straight up walnuts. Literally, it's a fantasy of mine to be yeah. able to eat walnuts. <laughs> well, maybe I'll dress up as a walnut next time. <laughs> see what happens. But wait a minute, Priyanka, oh. talk to me about like that. That's so fascinating to me because I think a lot of people have dreams that when you're in them, like when you're yeah. deep in the dream, you your body feels things that you would feel when you're awake. Yeah, totally. Right? Oh, 100%. A lot of times I'll have my heart will race a lot. Like if I have a stressful dream or like yeah. I'm running from something or it's like a horror thing. So that's your body reacting in the same way you would if you were awake. So is yeah. one more dangerous than the other? Is like, is your heart racing from a dream just as bad as your heart racing from other adrenaline or something? You know, I don't know the actual answer to that, but I do think people can have really intense dreams that can feel really real. Yeah. But I can't answer the question of like, oh, is that more real than an act? I, I mean, I would assume like if you're running up a hill, yeah. that's going to have a much greater effect on your heart than if you're dreaming that you're running up a hill, right? <laughs> right, 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 right. Running um, up that hill or, or running like, up that road. I've had dreams where like I've eaten cake in my yeah. dreams, but yeah. then like, I don't wake up bloated <laughs> the next day. <laughs> I don't ever dream I eat cake. I just eat cake. You just do it. Yeah, you make and your sometimes, dreams a reality. Yes, and sometimes, <laughs> and I'm, this may or may not be true, I'll wake up in, in a bunch of cake filled <laughs> sheets all over my sheets. Just and frosting Scotty's like, and cake. oh, he did it again. Yeah, yeah. Just my face and my oh, stomach my is bloated. But you know who is a dream today? Oh, 
Yes, our guest. Our guest, Phil Rosenthal. Phil I cannot wait Rosenthal. to talk to Can him. you believe it? Yes, and I see him all the time because he lives I was going to say, you, yeah, I'm, I'm sure you're, you're, you're hanging out with him all the time. Yeah, yeah. He's such a nice guy and so talented. For people who don't know, he created Everybody Loves Raymond, which is one of the greatest sitcoms it's ever. It's such a good show. And I don't know if you've checked out his Netflix show, Somebody Feed Phil. Yes, it is, yes. It's so, I mean, so I good. get hungry just thinking about the show. <laughs> I know, talking about cake and food. Yeah, we can't wait yeah. to ask him. Okay, so, but before we get to Phil, let's hear from our listeners. Let's listen to the first one. The first one's from someone who is anonymous. Let's listen. Okay. Hi, Sean and Priyanka. Um, I'm calling about something that I don't think I've heard you guys discuss on the podcast before. In my late, very late teens, very early 20s, I actually suffered from a couple of episodes of hypnagogic hallucinations. Mm -hmm. Basically, it was my sophomore, junior years of college. I was going through a ton of stress. Mm. And right before I fell asleep, I think it happened three, maybe four times. I very, very vividly hallucinated. Mm. Um, and all of the hallucinations were only a couple of seconds long, but absolutely terrifying. And haven't happened again. I'm 28 now, and uh, mm. I haven't experienced anything like this again. So the thought is that it just happened in my early 20s due to a lot of stress from college and everything that comes with that. But they were absolutely crazy. One of the hallucinations was about um, a, a very large bug um, in my bed, and I ended up falling out of my bed because I thought it was real and I was scared. Oh. And then I actually woke up on the ground. Um, yeah, pretty crazy stuff. I love the podcast. Thanks for everything you guys do. All right, bye. Wow. Oh my gosh, that's so interesting. That's fascinating. Yeah. I know. We talked a little bit about the before about like that fine line between uh, dreaming and reality. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it sounded like she, the thing that she quoted sounded like Lady Gaga. Yeah, so was, it's hypnogogic. I butchered her. <laughs> hallucinations. Oh. So Hypno hypnogogic hallucinations. Rah, 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 rah. <laughs> okay. um, basically, these are hallucinations that you get as you're falling asleep because hypnos yeah. is the Greek word for sleep and agogos means to lead. So it's like as you're leading into sleep, you're getting these hallucinations. There's also another kind Kind of hallucinations that happen when you're waking up from Take sleep mushrooms. called hypnopompic oh. hallucinations, which are oh. um, pomp is the Greek word for sending away. So it's like as you're going away from sleep, you can get these hallucinations. So what's interesting? So I'm glad that this person's symptoms like went away after yeah. they left kind of their stressful period. But what's yeah. interesting is that hypnagogic hallucinations it can be a clinical feature of narcolepsy where you have like, oh. a lot of sleepiness and um, your wakefulness and sleepiness are blurring together. One of my brothers, I think, had that when we were kids and he would fall asleep in the mashed potatoes all the time. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's, that's called cataplexy where you basically, like you, if you experience an intense emotion, like you laugh or uh, maybe you get really stressed out, your muscles will get really weak and wow. uh, you can't like move them for a while. And uh, that's that's a sign of narcolepsy. Wait, is that happening to you right now? Because I've noticed. Oh, I'm sorry. I was really <laughs> Sean, stressed out for a up, second. wake up. Wake up. We have to do the but show. But wait a minute. Um, um, <laughs> but wait, that's fascinating. Well, I'm glad, Anonymous, that you no longer suffer from that because I can you imagine, Sean, having bugs in your bed or, or hallucinating? that there's a bug in your bed and no yeah that that just sounds really really stressful so i'm glad yeah. that resolved sometimes i'll have scotty dressed up in a bug <laughs> costume but that's uh, other than that i don't want him in oh, my bed that's hilarious. Um, 
Oh, well, I'm glad I'm glad you're stress-free for now. I hope. I hope forever anonymous. Yeah. So uh let's listen to our next caller. Her name is Lara. Hi, Dr. Wally and Sean. Love the pod and playing along with the quiz at the end of each episode. A couple of friends have suggested I call in with my own personal story, which is pretty long, so I'm gonna try to be quick. Um, I grew up dancing, ballet and jazz, and I had a lot of tightness in my Achilles tendons and had trouble getting my heels on the ground in certain positions. After physical therapy and multiple consults, I had a surgery to lengthen both tendons and spent weeks in cast between 7th and 8th grade. Fast forward to my early 20s when I had a strange incident where my hand swelled up to the point where I couldn't tie my own shoe. Mm-hmm. Several rounds of steroids later, I started seeing a rheumatologist and was treated for symptoms of rheumatoid arthritis for years, largely asymptomatic. My last visit to the rheumatologist in my late 20s triggered a slew of consults with doctors at NIH and Johns Hopkins. Oh, wow ending in a DNA test and a diagnosis of a very rare muscular dystrophy called Emery Dreyfus. In my case, it largely affected my heart. Mm. In my early 30s, I had an ICD implanted and would later develop arrhythmias and multiple cardioversions and ablation procedures to treat it. By the summer of 2021, my heart failure progressed to the point of going under transplant evaluation. In January of this year, 2022, I was officially listed on the donor list and got a call on Valentine's Day with an offer. Wow. I had a successful transplant surgery in the early morning hours of February 15th. I'm now nearly 10 months out and feeling Wow. Thank you so much for listening to my story. Uh, Thanks again. Okay. Mm. Wow. Laura, that's amazing. That's incredible. I'm so, I feel so honored that you called us and that you're, I mean, of us of all people, I was like, I feel like that's awesome, Laura. Thank you. I'm so yeah, glad you're doing well. Thank you well. so much for sharing this. Yeah. So, Sean, Laura was talking about a very, very rare genetic condition yeah. called Emory Dreyfus muscular dystrophy. Emory yeah. Dreyfus are the physicians that discovered this condition back in the 60s. Yeah. And Muscular dystrophy, it means wasting away. So muscular dystrophy is when your muscles waste away. Right. And so basically any body part that's a muscular, including the heart, is going to get impacted. Wow, wow. And there's no cure There's no cure or, 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 or medication or anything. How do you I curb mean, the, the key? The key to managing this is that if someone is diagnosed with this condition, the first most important thing is they should be sent to a cardiologist mm-hmm. to make sure that their heart is okay. Because yeah. a lot of times if people die from this condition, it's because something happened to their heart. Like right. there was an arrhythmia or something. And this is such a good example, though, of the medical system actually doing a good job, <laughs> right? Because, right, right. like, she was properly diagnosed. Right. She got referred to the right specialist. Right. And she got the care she needed, and now she's doing okay. I mean, so. on Valentine's Day, no less. Right. I the mean, Day of Hearts. Isn't that yeah. amazing? Wow, yeah. I like, that's just so... Wait, so 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 the symptoms were... were um, uh, her fingers were swollen or something, as she said. Um, yeah. So it's, just ba- so it's just poor blood circulation was also a sign. Well, what's interesting about this type of Emory Dreyfus muscular dystrophy is that something will happen to your tendons. It's called contractures, where basically your tendons connect muscle to bone. And so for reasons that are likely genetic mutation oriented, they contract. And so you get all these contractures. So I wonder if the finger swelling was because of that. Uh And then she mentioned the Achilles. She had to have her Achilles worked on. And so they get Achilles tendon contractures as well. Wow, it's so fascinating. Laura, I can't believe you called us. I love that. I love that. Yeah, thank you so much. And and she sounded so like up and healthy and like ready to go. 
go. So I hope that that sticks and that this goes on for many, many, many decades and that you're here with yeah, us. So thank thanks, you Lara. so much. I love that. Hey, so the number to leave us a message, we loved hearing from you, is 323-529-6031. Again, 323-529-6031. Keep sharing your stories with us. We love it. Let's get to our guest. Oh. Oh, there he is. Look at the short haircut. I love it. Our guest today is starving, and we're ready to feed him some good conversation. He's a writer, a producer, and TV host. His new project, Somebody Feed Phil, the book is out now. It's the very hungry and very talented Phil Rosenthal. Hello, Phil Rosenthal. Sean, you're my buddy from the neighborhood now. I know. I know. I thought that's so cool. I was going to say, you live. we live in the same neighborhood. We always see each other on the street. And then you saw me, I don't know, two, three weeks ago, and you said, I'm coming on the show. I was like, you are? And you're like, you don't even know. And I was like, I don't even know what I'm doing in the next five minutes. <laughs> so I, but I was so, so excited. And, and, you know, you are my friend, my neighbor, one of my idols for creating one of the greatest sitcoms ever in the history, which is true. The, one of the greatest sitcoms in the history Look of television. Look talking. Look no, but I didn't create mine. You created it. Everybody loves Raymond. Of course, I remember being at a charity event a while ago and seeing you at a food stand and yeah. you uh and you had like cameras around and you That's were like right. and you shot some really fast footage of me eating and you interviewed me and i was like this is awesome it fills a host too what can't you do and by the way i always find it fascinating when like people who create shows or writers have this amazing kind of extroverted personality and friendly and everybody loves you and everybody gets along with you and you have a, a way of uh making people feel included and you're interested and curious so i find that very rare so it's, you do it so well and phil very nice to meet you as well <laughs> lovely to sorry. meet you how about hello sean yeah. if we sorry, say sorry. hello it's sorry, such sorry, a pleasure <laughs> yeah, yeah it's yeah. my pleasure yeah. look where he keeps you he keeps you in the closet look i know you. Where my are barn you? this is my recording barn <laughs> <laughs> yeah. believe me I, I got out of that closet years ago. So uh, I want to know also about your podcast, Naked mm. Lunch, which I, this is sounds so cool with David Wilde. Yes, you have to come up. It's uh, it's all we do. Uh, David is this great uh, uh, journalist from Rolling Stone and all the award shows. I'm, I'm sure you've met him a bunch of times, given what you do. And he and I have been having lunch for like 25 years with our friends. And he's got friends in the music business. I know comedians and actors. Mm -hmm. And we've been having these lunches. And at the end of every lunch, I would say, why aren't we recording mm. this? And yeah, so yeah, yeah. We are. Nice. It's kind of like that. you with your friends, right? Yeah. And so you eat, you actually hear the food and eat. Literally. Oh, nice. Yes. I, yeah. I love that. You're also like, I'm so impressed with how many restaurants you're uh, invested in or a part of or had something to do with the creation or whatever. Eight. Like eight, eight restaurants? 25. Oh, wow. 25 restaurants. You know why? Because you love food. I'm not very bright. Oh, really? <laughs> this is a stupid investment, Sean. It's like investing in a Broadway show <laughs> or a, or a paint. <laughs> but, but wait a minute. But, but the reason, a real reason I do it, yes, I love to eat and I love food, but we support the arts, right? Yeah. Yes, for sure. And for that's sure. one of the arts. Mm -hmm. So, And it's a way to make your community better. I'm investing in the places I want to eat in. I know. You know what we need in our neighborhood, by the way? What? We need a damn diner. Mm. We just we, need a whole diner. By the way, I'm so into that if you ever want to go in together. You heard it here first, people. <laughs> That's right. Sean and I are going into business. <laughs> you know what else? Because years ago, if you remember, there was a diner. Years ago. Of course. Why don't we have another Fakakta Tchotchke store? <laughs> I, <laughs> I know. I got enough candles and birthday cards. I just want to make a quick comment about this is such a good point about like uh, supporting the arts. 
yes. the arts in any form are engaging in activities that are bringing us back to our bodies. And what greater it. exercise than the food we eat to nourish yes. us and bring us back to our bodies? You know, we use I love that. music to listen to and move us, but also food is very much a, a vehicle for movement of energy as well. Uh, you're very, very articulate <laughs> and smart. And yes. that is right. That is right. All the <laughs> yeah. art. And there are people who would take the arts out of school. I'm talking about the visual arts, theater, of course. Music. Yes, I, I don't understand. It's like these people are going to get a wake-up call when it's like there's no music around mm. their, their community or whatever. It's like, yeah, because you took all the funding away. It's like, and you know, let's not forget. I once heard this quote, and and I apologize, I can't remember who said it. It was someone on the internet, but um, basically, they talked about during the pandemic when you were at your lowest point. Do not forget that that was the moment you turned to art. That's right. When you were oh, sitting great. alone in your room, like very isolated, that's when you went to artists for help. Yeah, and just for people who don't know, Netflix. Amazon, Apple, Hulu, all of that, they create art. Mm -hmm. They're like, I wasn't into art. I watch TV. That's that, art. They're making art. They're making art. Mm. You yeah. got it. I always say there, there, so many people think the arts are disposable. What they don't realize is it's the answer. It's the answer. Yes. Amen. It is yeah. the answer. Oh, my God. Oh my How do we goodness. get people to realize that? So, listen, are there going to be more television episodes of Somebody Feed Phil? I love that I show. I know. It's so good. I get so hungry when I watch it. Oh, thanks. <laughs> I, I love doing it so much. I have not heard yet. I don't know. The business is strange. Mm. I don't have to tell you. I'm on this book tour now and promoting season six. And the people I'm meeting, the connections I'm making mm -hmm. around the country, I've been doing this now for a couple of months. It's just so beautiful. And there seems to be a disconnect between this feeling and the business side. Uh -huh. That yeah. like, They won't give me an answer. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Don't so know why. Weird. Yeah. It's so yeah. like... I, I, I don't know if it's going well and everybody's watching it. What's what's there's no math to do. Just pick it exactly. up. Exactly. But there's a guy over there named Al Algorithm. <laughs> you got to be friends with him. What if apparently. it really comes down to something like the, the person making the decision is like gluten free and like can't eat any of the food on your show or something. And that's what <laughs> I don't know what the agendas are. Right. <laughs> I do know that there are agendas. I just felt yeah. and it I feel like sometimes that yeah. I'm, I'm, uh, it's not about humanity. It's about some computer making mm. decisions. Yeah, for sure. Mm -hmm. For sure. Yeah. I mean, it's also, it's just so wild that all of these streamers are turning into network television again because they're going to be, they're yes. going to be showing ads and, and, yes. and having sponsors. And it's what a like, novel idea. Well, I know. What a, what a, it's a, crazy. All right. So wait, but what's fantastic is part of the proceeds from your book, Somebody Feed Fill the Book, Yes, is going to ALS, mm -hmm. the, the the ALS organization. Yes, and so let's jump right into that because sure. I want to know why it's important to you, and um, and and I know your mom had ALS, and just tell us why it's important. Mm -hmm. Well, that's why my mom passed from ALS, and believe it or not, she was one of the lucky ones mm -hmm. because ALS strikes young people mostly, mm -hmm. and uh -huh. there's nothing more tragic than that. Mm -hmm. I always say it's it's not a tragedy when an older person passes. Mm -hmm. That's that's life. Yeah. Mm -hmm. She was 86, mm -hmm. right? Wow. Had a pretty good life until the last two years when she got ALS. The tragedy for me was that she was suffering. Okay. Yeah. The terrible disease yeah. where your mind is still there. And right. one by one, these your, your functions stop. Yeah. 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 It's a horrible, and it just became, listen. There are people, there are 40-year-olds I know right. who are living with this for many years. 
Some of them don't get to live for many years. It's just a, a, a damn disease. So, and isn't it wild that my mom died of Alzheimer's mm-hmm. and the opposite happens, where the brain goes, but the body's mm-hmm. okay? That's right. Mm-hmm. You know, isn't that wild? They both suck. Yeah, they're chronic yeah, they degenerative suck. diseases. Phil, can you walk us through uh, what it was like, how your mother got diagnosed? What was the process for that? Okay, so here's how horrible the thing is. Mm-hmm. You know, we thought she was klutzy. Yeah, so she was falling... Uh-huh. Mom, mom fell again. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Yeah, right. Oh, this time she broke her hip. Oh, this time uh-huh. oh, she fell. Ma, what's about it? You can't stand up. What's going mm-hmm. on? Mm-hmm. So right. we, maybe it's time to go to the doctor. You go to the doctor, mm-hmm. and what the doctor tells you is, this could be ALS, mm-hmm. but we have to test for every other right. possible disease because the other diseases are treatable. Right. Right. right, right, right. So they have to, by process of elimination, you get to ALS. Right. Nobody says, oh, you have ALS right away. Mm-hmm. There are lots of things that look like mm-hmm. it. Could be Parkinson's, right. could be, there's many things. Yeah. All the neurological diseases are connected, and the breakthroughs that are just starting to happen now may cure Parkinson's and ALS and other neurological motor diseases, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So that's why it's so important to fund and for the government to, you know, release funding. And uh, my friends Brian Wallach and Sandra Abravaya, do you know about them? They worked for Obama. They met on the Obama campaign, the first campaign, mm-hmm. and okay. fell in love, and he was diagnosed mm-hmm. with ALS. Mm-hmm. And they started a campaign to get the government to release the drugs that were showing uh, success. Uh Mm -hmm. You know, years-long waiting process. And they said, release them now. These people don't have years. Mm -hmm. They have maybe a year, Mm -hmm. most people. Mm -hmm. Right, right. right. And there's a documentary coming that I was lucky enough, they asked me to come on as an exec producer, Katie Couric and me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it's called No Ordinary Campaign. And this is like, their story is so fantastic. It's like Oscar worthy. Uh-huh. Oh, wow. Uh-huh. Wow. They got it done. Mm-hmm. They got wow. it done. Mm-hmm. They I love changed that. the law. Really? It, wow. I, I lo- that's, that's, that's amazing. Fantastic. You know, speaking, yeah. speaking of laws, you know, you talk about how your mother was older than average at the time yes. that she was diagnosed. But, you know, a lot of people who are diagnosed young, they're working and they might not have severe symptoms. They might have early symptoms like just a limp or something like that. A lot of people don't know that ALS patients have a special exception for Social Security disability insurance in the sense that they are immediately eligible for Social Security. They don't have to wait the standard five-month waiting period oh, if they plan on that. stopping work immediately after being diagnosed, which I think is such an important fact to share with ALS wow, patients and great. families. Absolutely. Um, Listen, at least it's something, but I don't have to tell you how expensive any medical needs are, and not to mention caretakers. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, yeah. this is this is essential. Yeah. For did you try? ALS did you patient. try it, Phil, on your own first, uh, trying to take care of mom, or did you immediately go to? I was. I my my brother lived in New York. I was in L.A. I was working and stuff, so I get home as much as I could uh-huh. to help. Yeah. But it, yeah, it's it beca- hard when you live across the country. Yeah. And also, it becomes so, they are so dependent on yeah. other human beings right. 24-7. Right. And my dad was seven years older than her. Uh-huh. Right. Yeah. And she passed before him. That was the other really sad thing. Uh-huh. Yeah. 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 You know, 
at the time that she was finally diagnosed, what was her yeah. level of mobility? Was she was she using a cane? Was she like using a wheelchair? What was kind of her level at the time she was diagnosed? Uh, she already had symptoms. She was using a cane. She would then move to the walker, mm -hmm. then move to the wheelchair. Mm -hmm. You know, it, yeah. it's just, then they move in the machines. Like it just gets worse and worse where here's now the machine that she'll need in case she can't move anything mm -hmm. and she'll talk with her eye movement. Right, right? like she'll a computer out. will speak and for as, you. And now here comes the, the feeding tube in the stomach. Right. And here right. comes the, and it's just, yeah, just right. down the line. You know, there was a patient advocate who had ALS who actually wrote uh, yeah. this piece for physicians. His name was Bruce Rosenblum, and he he wrote a beautiful piece about his experience with ALS. And one tip that he says to people that have ALS is always get the equipment and learn how to use it before you need it. Of course, because things like wheelchairs and canes, can, you know, with the insurance approval and the delivery, it can take That's up to right. six months to get that yeah. delivered. And so right. if you're not getting practice with how to use that before, it can lead yeah. to things like falls or other other issues. Well, let me promote a, a group that Brian and Sandra started called IMALS.org. Mm -hmm. That is where my book proceeds are going. And this is the exact type of organization that advises families. Mm -hmm. That's great. Mm -hmm. To do this stuff. Say yeah. it again. I am ALS. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. It, it has great. a lot of helpful information. And so, yes. um, Phil, what was when when you finally heard your mother's diagnosis, were you in the the room when she was officially told that it is ALS or what how did you end up hearing the news? I wasn't in the room. I was on the phone. My brother was in the room. We kind of knew this was coming uh -huh. because once the tests start coming back, it's not this, it's not this, it's not mm -hmm. this. Yeah. The doctors are saying it's most likely this. Right. So we were kind of expecting it. And we just saw the deterioration. Right. Because wow. these tests, it's not like one day of tests. These tests take months. I think it was a year and a half. Wow. Wow. Or yes. we knew that it was definitively this. Yeah, you know the right. The, and we all knew it was coming. Mm -hmm. And now, now that now that you've had firsthand experience with your mom, is there other than the kind of stumbling or you know quote unquote klutzy thing like you said, uh, perception of being klutzy? Is there more of a significant determiner about? that people can recognize it faster than going through these tests? Like, is there some kind of anything that would detect it faster? You know, that's a really good question. Like, um, you know, you're asking about, like, if there's certain indicators, like Parkinson's has this clear sign, like loss of sense of smell can be an early sign of Parkinson's. But as far as I can tell, the key to diagnosing ALS, in addition to ruling out other things, is doing a study called an EMG or electromyography, where you're basically testing the electrical activity on the muscles themselves themselves. Um, that's, uh -huh. that's really how, how it's diagnosed. Um, but there's, is it, is it pain? Is it painful having ALS or is it? It's not painful. You know, the main symptoms is weakness in the muscles because ALS, which stands for amyotrophic lateral sclerosis, basically amyotrophic comes from the Greek word meaning without nourishment to the muscles. So basically it's referring to the loss of signal from the nerve cells that the nerves would normally send to the muscles. So basically, this is a wow. disease that damages the nerves that control muscles, and that causes the muscles to weaken. And slowly mm -hmm. over time, the muscles stop working, basically paralyzing the person. And, and is, it gen is it genetic? Is it... 
what how do you what's what's the determining factor? There's definitely a genetic component and there are some genetic tests that you can do if there is a family history. Phil, I'm curious, did you end up doing some of the genetic testing after your mother's diagnosis? I haven't I haven't yet, but I think we should. Yeah, so so there there are some some genetic tests that that can be helpful. Um did anyone else in your family before your mother have ALS as far as you could tell? Nope. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. But but they I've heard tell me if this is true that that's not really a uh, uh, determinant that anyone can get at any time. That's also true. Absolutely. Anyone can get it at any time. Wow. And so, you know, the average person takes about 11 months from the time they come to their physician to the time they get diagnosed. There's a real lag time between the time you present with these vague symptoms of just like muscle weakness or maybe trouble swallowing or stiff movements or maybe you're twitchy um, uh-huh. to the time you actually get the formal diagnosis. And I think diagnosing someone early can be really beneficial because then you can focus on planning right. and you can also focus on life rather than the ALS itself. And you can build a lot of things and plan ahead so that you can have somewhat of a higher quality of life than, than if you're diagnosed quite late. Yeah. Yeah. Are there, are there, I was going to ask, I don't know if you know Priyanka or not, are there any kind of uh, new anything out there that makes living with ALS better or improves your quality of life? Or is there anything new out there medically? We know there's at this time, Right now, there's no cure for ALS, but, right, but a lot of these right. approved medications, they slow the progression. Okay. So people can have more quality of life for a little bit longer. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, good, yeah. good. Did your wow. mother, Phil, try any of the meds or what was... what was All of them. She tried all of them. Did she... Yeah. Whatever was available. And Brian Wallach, if you go to... If you follow Brian Wallach, uh, either on Twitter or Instagram, you'll see a man living with it. Yeah. And at... Drugs that he's been able to get, they haven't reversed it, but they seem to have kept it from getting worse. Right, right. You know, and he works really hard to stay, you know, present. He's got two little girls and he's got, you know, he's got a lot of life ahead of him, hopefully. And maybe, you know, you just, when you have a disease like this, you just want it to freeze until there's a cure. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I know. totally. Right? I know. Totally. I, I, we were talking about dreams earlier in the, before you came on, Phil, and I would have yep. dreams that my mom with Alzheimer's, even when she was living with it, I had a dream that she was cured or like you're mm. saying, it would stop yes. just so we could take care of it. Just her don't get worse. I'm done. Yeah. You know, right? I, I yeah. think a lot about Stephen Hawking who lived with ALS for 40 yeah. years. You know, he was yeah. diagnosed how in his 20s. How is that possible? And, how? I mean, he he was, didn't even have the drugs that we have now. What? How did he do that? He was speaking to aliens. Well, uh, right, and he, I mean, advice. but he is an exemplary case of uh, someone who, who really just, uh, I mean, not only did he live with ALS, but I mean, he wrote these incredible books. I mean, he... I know, it's kind of, it's kind of amazing. Yeah. Um, speaking of amazing, let's play a game. <laughs> It's called Dr. Wally's Hall of Fame. You're each going to get three questions. And if you don't know the answer, take a guess because I give possible points for creativity. Sean, you're up first with the first three questions. Let's begin. First question. The term matarosis, I'll spell that M-A-D-A-R-O-S-I-S, matarosis. Oh, thank you. That makes it clear. Is a medical term that refers to the loss of what? Matarosis, the medical term for the loss of matarosis, matarosis. 
metamorphosis the loss of uh of your of being angry you're not mad oh anymore. that you're mad. that's cute uh, or skin is it the loss of skin i'm guessing no not I don't know. skin what is it? actually it's actually um comes from the greek word madaros which means bald so it's the loss of eyelashes oh. when you lose your eyelashes oh. that's metamorphosis Really? Matarosis? Yeah. All right. Okay. Second question for Sean. What actor starred as Freddie Mercury in Bohemian Rhapsody? I know it, but I can't remember. Malik. Yeah, that's correct. Rami Malik. Rami yeah. Malik. That's right. Got Third it. question. Which late night talk show host called you, quote, poison on the stage during a duet? <laughs> <laughs> Could be any of them. Um, wait, called me poison on the stage <laughs> when I was doing a duet with yeah, them? Yeah, during a duet. Mm-hmm. Like a singing duet? Mm-hmm. I don't know any late Poison night on talk the stage. Poison I have on no the idea. stage. Poison on the stage. The British? Oh, James Corden. Yes, that's correct. James Corden. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. What a, what so a you sweet, don't remember that sweet at all. thing to say. Charming <laughs> compliment. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't remember that. Wait, so I got not really. So you I got, got, with no, the little you got help, Malik, I got like two. Corden and a little bit of creativity. So I'll give you two-ish. Okay. okay, Phil, you're up. Are you ready? You know what I had for matterosis? What? Loss of mattress. That That's a go. good one. I'll give you a creative nowhere point to sleep. for that. I got nowhere to sleep. I got matterosis. Okay, <laughs> first question. What is the name of the medical procedure that removes the appendix from your body? Appendectomy. That is correct. Oh, yes, nice. Correct. Appendectomy. Second question. Which late 1990s sitcom revolved around a group of teenage friends and their coming of age set in the 1970s Wisconsin? Oh, you get, yeah, I had it until that. <laughs> yeah, I had it until that, too. Wait, in Wisconsin? Yeah. Set in the 70s. 70s. But it, air, but it aired in the 90s. That's correct. I think it was called Friends with Cheese. <laughs> <laughs> that is that is not correct. The answer is that 70s oh. show. That 70s show. I was going to guess no. that. <laughs> I should have watched. Okay, third question. In your show, Somebody Feed Phil, what city did you first try ostrich and antelope? Oh, that was Cape Town. That is correct. Yes. Nice. Okay, so you also got two questions. So this is a tie. So we're moving into tiebreaker round. So the way tiebreaker round works, first person to answer correctly or close enough wins. Are you both ready? Yes. Okay. What is the most expensive spice by weight in the world? Saffron. That is correct. Yes, saffron. Wait, oh Love God, saffron. of course you yes. knew that. Of course, of course. you knew that. That was a gimme to Phil Rosenthal. Congratulations. Phil. That's, anyway. that's a, by the way, you know about saffron? No. They, they pull, it's literally. Strands. The, the little, yeah. Yeah, the stamen of a flower. Yeah. It's extremely hard to harvest. Yeah, yeah. Wait, so, and, and it's the most expensive spice in the world because of the of the labor and all of that? And yeah, yes. per gram. I mean, have wow. you ever cooked with saffron? It's, oh, I love cooking with saffron. And it's, it's delicious. So Not this week. Yeah. I haven't it's cooked a red with saffron. It's just strands. Yet, when you cook it, it's yellow. Yeah, it's so good. Really? And it, it, the aroma, oh, it's so nice. And in rice, we like, we put it in rice. Yeah, saffron right? Risotto, yeah. yes. Yes, yeah. saffron risotto. Yeah. Yes. Phil Rosenthal, Thank you, you dream. Phil. Congratulations. You're in Dr. Wally's Hall of Fame. Thank you for sharing your story about your mom with ALS yes. and educating us. And again, the website is imals.org yes. uh, to find out more. And and um, I just can't thank you enough for being here. And also, the, the show, Somebody Feed Phil, the book. Please pick it up. Yeah, thanks again. I love you both. Yeah, love so I nice love you too. So nice to meet you. And again, thank you for coming on and talking about a 
disease that, you know, doesn't get a lot of attention and affects people in a very challenging way. And it's not just the people it affects, but the families as well. So thank you so much. Do you yeah. remember the ice bucket challenge? Yes, yes, yes. of course. Everybody remembers yeah. that. Of course. Have no idea what it was for. Right. It was for ALS. Mm, yeah. yeah. I know yes. people just thought it was like, you know, silly to pour cold That's water. That's right. <laughs> I mean, yes, of course. I knew it was for ALS, but yeah, you're right. Yeah. But anyway, thank you so much. Onward and upward. Thank yeah. you, Phil. Bless you, Take care. Ciao. Thank Bye. You. What a sweetheart. Such a pleasure to meet him. And, and so smart. Ta- yeah, and so like, smart. So, and to like, talk about ALS and in the way, you know, I can only imagine how how challenging that must have been for him as a son. I know. And that's why I asked him about the caretaking because it's hard just for one family member, if, if there's more than one family member, to, to caretake. Yes, we talked about that before on the show, which is like, I was lucky enough in my family, we all kind of took turns mm-hmm. and did the best that we could do. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so it helps when there's more people to relieve a caregiver, even if for five minutes, 10 minutes, whatever, because time is so valuable. Oh, totally. Or even if you know someone is working as a caregiver for their loved one yes. who's living with yeah. whatever, even doing something like dropping off dinner. That's what um, I'm saying. You know, picking up picking up dry cleaning, whatever, yeah, any kind of just, relief you can give them. Yeah, giving them even a little bit of relief. And remembering that, you know, with any kind of degenerative condition, it takes a village to yeah. help this person, you know? So yeah. Well, sometimes it takes a village, meaning me and you, to get through a show, Priyanka. <laughs> Sean. We are a village. Oh, we are a love village. Love you Guys, and love our I listeners. I love you too, honey. Thank you to Anonymous and Laura for the calls yes. and, and our listeners yes. as well. Yes. Until next time, don't worry. Be healthy. Bye. Bye. Hypochondriactor is a Hazy Mills production hosted by me, Sean Hayes, and Dr. Priyanka Wally. Rebecca Eisenberg and Todd Milliner are our executive producers. Production and editing is by Rabbit Grin Productions. Original music by Scott Eisenogel and Leo Rosner. This is a Hazy Mills production. All content discussed on Hypochondriactor are the individual opinions of Dr. Priyanka Wally and Sean Hayes and should not be construed as personalized medical advice. By listening to this podcast, you agree not to use this podcast as medical advice to treat any medical condition in either yourself or others. Please consult your own physician for any medical issues that you may be having. This entire disclaimer also applies to any guests or contributors to the podcast.